chapter 2 and verse 15. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. I want to read to you one more portion of the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 24. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. I want to continue with our Facing Life's Greatest Challenge series. And today we're preaching about living clean in an unclean world. Living clean in an unclean world. Let us pray. Reverend Tuig, sir, would you please pray over our message and messenger. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Quick plea for help. If you remember uh, way back during World War II when the Germans had uh, pushed the English soldiers off of the one section of the, the geography there and they evacuated them uh, there at Dunkirk. And they called it the miracle of Dunkirk. And what was happening was they had to get them across that English channel. And they used every boat that was possible to get those soldiers away from their impending doom to fight again. And so they had great big fishing boats, troop transports, little uh, schooners and little boats that they used to get every person across. Now this has nothing to do with my message, but we are pleading for help because there are people that would like to come to church and we just don't have enough vehicles to get them all. There was a lady this morning we couldn't get uh, in the house of God. It's like the, the Dunkirk evacuation. We just need big boats, little boats, big cars, vans. If you got space for one more, talk to Reverend Hill. He will be sure to put you to work. Amen? Amen. We are excited about our 90-day challenge, trying to uh, get back where we need to be. Uh, our goal was to have 200 in church on consecutive Sundays. Now, this is something that... God has blessed us and we've done in times past and had hundreds in the house of God. Uh, we're building up again after COVID. We refuse to just allow that to keep us in a, a new normal. That's not what God's desire is. God's desire is that his house would be full. Amen? And so for it to be full, we have to do our part. Getting out there, inviting people, bringing them into the house of God. So we encourage you, invite your friends, your family, get them in the house of God. Change someone's eternity. Now. Last two, last uh, three weeks, we started this sermon series. We talked to you about rejection and rejected yet accepted was our first message and how we all have to deal with that rejection and how Christ showed us how to go forward even though he was rejected by the very people he came to help. In the second week, we talked about grief, grace for the grieving. And though you may not be experiencing it right now, and I do want to put this out real quick. Um, on the 20th of March, for those who know 
uh, Brother Ronald Jones, he passed away recently, 20th of March here. There will be uh, funeral services for him. Please come if you're able to and you know him. Come support the family. Show your love for them. 20th of March. It's a Monday if I'm not mistaken. 23rd uh, for Emily Valentine, young cousin of Sister Daisha, who was uh, uh, needlessly killed. And we'll give you details on that as it becomes, uh, comes to us. And so we dealt with grief and how that we need grace for grieving. Last week we dealt with something uh, that we all have to face on an ongoing basis, and that was self-control. So this week we're into our fourth uh, subject, and I, I want to apologize to you a bit, and here's what I mean. When we laid out this series a while back, and there were subjects in it, uh, we were hoping that we could, we could cover them in a way that would be a blessing to you. As we come to each week, we uncover so much information it's almost impossible to give it all to you in one sermon. And so I figured you would be more forgiving of me if we left a little bit out and encouraged you to keep coming back than if I added an hour to the sermon to get it all in. Amen? He said, amen, pastor, amen. So uh, if, if you say, man, I know there's more there, there is. Keep coming back. We'll get it in the upcoming weeks as God allows. And the tagline for the, the series itself was, Running from your problems is a race that you'll never win. We must have the courage to face up to these things that come our way. And that applies to what we're dealing with today. Living clean in an unclean world. There was an odor in the neighborhood. Residents complained of a smell. It permeated the neighborhood of the former city council member, Zach Reed. It was in Mount Pleasant, Ohio. A woman lived across the street. She always complained of something that smelled like rotten, dead bodies. Now, there was a sausage company across the street. And a man who was a neighbor to that named Anthony Soul. The sausage company spent $20,000 upgrading all of their appliances, installing new grease traps, uh, getting rid of their plumbing, certain plumbing, getting it all cleaned up to try to rid the neighborhood of that smell. The city was notified. They came out and flushed out the sewer drains and did all that they could to try to rid the neighborhood of that smell. But the truth came out when one lady who had been attacked by this man, Anthony Soul, neighbor to the sausage company, escaped. When the police came to his house, they found two bodies upstairs in his apartment decomposing. When they did a further search, they found ten bodies of young women that he had abused and killed in his basement. Horrible, unfathomable crime. But I want you to think about it a little differently. If this odor was so horrific that the neighbors were complaining about it and the city got involved trying to remove it, and that was outside and across the street from this man's house, what was it like for him living in the very apartment day after day and week after week? With the smell of decomposing bodies. He said, preacher, that's 
awful, and it is, but it describes what most Americans deal with today. We live in a culture that has gotten used to the worst of the worst. We live in a society that has sanctioned, promoted, paraded the most filthy and dirty of the dirty to where now the rotting sin of mankind has become an odor that everybody is used to. You know, there's something about it, isn't it? When you get your house clean, you notice when things aren't right. Fellas, when you clean your car, I don't know about you, but I've got an extra rag. After I clean my car and I drive home, I usually whip out the rag, kind of buff off the dust of the back window. Guys, can you relate? Get those few drops that had uh, not dried, clean them up. Because once the car is clean, you want it to stay clean. If you get the dishes done and the sink is empty, something about it, you don't feel quite right, do you? Going to the sink and putting your dirty dish in there, it doesn't feel right. Even if you're not a normal dishes doer, you're probably one that says, man, I can't do that. And you'll clean it up and put it away. But if you happen to go to the sink and there's already a dish or two there, it's not so bad just to add another dish or two. And soon, it seems like they just multiply, don't they? You see, when things are clean, you notice when things aren't clean. The smallest dust is noticed on your vehicle when it's clean. One plate, one fork in an empty sink is noticed when it's been cleaned. But when there is dirt everywhere, it's not so much to get used to just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And so we find we have a dirty world. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so it became difficult, even back in Jesus' time, for the ministers to get up and say something because people would say, well, you have sinned too. And they were right. Because every preacher, every, every minister, every rabbi, every teacher was born in sin, born shaping in iniquity, born with the need to be changed. They stunk spiritually. But there's a problem, isn't it? When somebody points out to you that you stink and you turn around and say, yeah, well, you stink too. Neither of you get any cleaner. And so blaming somebody else and pointing out where they have sinned doesn't help anybody. But when somebody points out to you, hey, man, you need to take a shower. And then you shower, then you can tell whether they have a fresh fragrance or not. Because you've done something about it. And so in our filthy world, where all had sinned and come short of the glory of God, instead of people desiring to get clean, they either say, everybody sins. And you hear that all the time, don't you? Well, everybody sins. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in so doing, they make an excuse. What they're saying is, it's too much effort to get clean and stay clean. 
I don't like the daily discipline, even as a Christian, the daily discipline of keeping my heart right and keeping my thoughts right and pulling out the little weeds of, of anger or bitterness or pride or lust that might get there. And so sometimes I let them stay, somebody might say. But it's not too long until those seeds grow up and they, they sprout more seeds. And then your life is overgrown with filth. And you don't like somebody telling you, hey, you need to weed your garden. You need to change your thinking. You need to change your input. People say everyone sins. Everyone is dirty. Or they'll say this, it's not that big of a deal. You don't have to get that clean. But that's not true, isn't it? Is it? You see, the standard for our soul is not somebody else's level of cleanliness. The standard for our soul is Jesus. Listen to what the Bible said. He said, you are to be holy as I am holy. Jesus speaking. So when I compare myself to another brother, he may stink worse than I do. And I can pat myself on the back and say, man, I'm glad I'm not as bad off as him. I'm glad I don't drink as much as she does. I'm glad I'm not as promiscuous as they are. I'm glad I don't have a habit like they do. Man, that person's always angry. I'm glad I've got a better control of my tongue than they do. Or, or the religious sins. When we come to church and we fold our hands and say, I am better than they are. I don't like the music or I don't like what he's preaching or I don't like this or I don't like that. And you are more holy than everybody else. Stand and glow for us a little while. Are you still here? And the religious folks look at everybody else, but their cup is just as dirty. Instead of getting clean... Getting pure, they point out at everybody else's transgression. You see, the standard is not another sinner. God has to recalibrate our conscience. He has to reset the standard. I'm not supposed to be better than somebody else. That's not where, that's not, the, 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 the ultimate measure is not where I stand with Brother Tony or where I stand with Reverend Tuhig or where I stand with Brother Baldwin. The ultimate measure is where do I stand with Christ? And when we are measured by the standard of Christ, then we all come short. We all have sinned. We all stink. We all are, as Daniel said, our comeliness, our beauty is turned to corruption. We stand before God and say, oh God, I need to be clean. That's what Isaiah the prophet did. God called him to preach to the people. And when he stood before God, he said, I beheld the Lord. He was high and lifted up. And he said, God, I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in a people of unclean lips and God had to come and take the coal from off the altar and purge him and let his sin be passed away. What was he doing? He was recalibrating him. You see, we need to be made clean and pure because our ultimate standard is Christ. And once we're pure, the Bible said we are to keep ourselves pure. Keep thyself pure. We are to purify ourselves, even as he is pure. But the devil has an effective method of getting us used to being impure. He surrounds us with impurity. And so for a while, think about it, for a while, when you're clean, there's something about it. You don't want to mess with the dog, clean up its, its uh, 
uh, dog dirt. You want to go out and, and uh, get your hands all greasy in the, in the engine. You put on some nice clothes. You kind of walk a little different. You give a wide berth to anything that's dirty. Amen. I mean, you want to stay clean. But when you're surrounded by it, and everywhere you go, it just seems like there's a filthy word there, and there's a, a, a dirty joke there, and there's something impure on your, on your, your social media feed, and, and your people that you work with, they're wanting to go out and get drunk, and they're talking about their sexual escapades, and your family, and you go to a family reunion, and they're fighting and duking it out and quarreling, and in your household, you, you got husband against wife and wife against husband, and the, and the children sometimes pulling referee duty over the parents. We live in a filthy world. And so the devil does his very best to surround us with impurity. That's why. And we're going to get to this place. Getting clean and staying clean. But let me just get this real quick. That's why it's so important for us as Christians to get around a different standard of people. That's why he said, come out from the world and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Because when I get away from the world and I get around the people of God, I'm reminded, I'm reminded that I should strive more, that I should get cleaner, that I should be more holy, that I should be more loving, that I should be more kind. But when I'm around the people of the world, I can pat myself on the back and say, man, thank God I haven't drank a drink, a, drank a drink for 30 years, how holy I am. But when I get around the people of God and I see them reading their Bible, it reminds me I need to read. And I get around the people in the house of God and I see them lifting their hands in worship. It reminds me I need to worship. When I get around the people of God and I see them bringing people into the house of God, it reminds me I've got a job to do. That's why it's not good enough just to sit at home and watch it on the stream. You're not recalibrated. You don't get around the people. Watching on the stream is, as I said the other day, and I caught, I caught pushback for it, it's selfish. It's just, and again, if you're not in the, the geographic area and you can't come, we're glad you're watching. If you're sick and you can't make it, we're glad you're watching. If you don't have a ride and we're glad you're watching rather than not doing anything. But when you have the option to come, there's something about it. We get our heart recalibrated. Here's what the Bible said. Iron sharpens iron. So when I get around my brothers and I get around my sisters and I see them loving and I see them caring and I see them uh, going the extra mile, it encourages me to do that. But if I'm sitting at home and there's no interaction with other Christians, do you follow? I don't get my, my blade sharpened. My iron is not sharpened with other Christians. So the devil surrounds us. His effective method of getting us to be impure, he surrounds us with impurity in people. He surrounds us with impurity in media. He surrounds us with impurity in society. Hey, listen, this is crazy, but they've got award shows where they have open celebration of Satanism. It's not a joke. Openly broadcasting it on the TV and parading around people dressed as demons and folks are like, man, these people are so great. We love their music. And, and, this, and they give them money, these people that are, that are propagating the kingdom of darkness. And then in your own mind you think, well, it's not so bad. I am not as bad as they are. But you don't understand, the devil stretches the envelope this way. 
And then if he gets you over here, you can say, well, I'm not as far as they are. But it won't be long. He'll stretch it again. And he'll pull you a little farther. And he'll stretch it again. Until once things that were once depraved and defiled are accepted. Dirty isn't dirty anymore. Unclean isn't unclean anymore. He surrounds us with impurity. But once we get clean, and we'll get back to how to do that in a minute, God wants us to stay clean. The problem is we don't always recognize when we're no longer clean. Recently, we had some sisters and brothers and people helped us paint the downstairs area, paint the rooms. And <laughs> it didn't start that we wanted to paint. It started that we wanted to strip the floors. Because the floors have become dirty, and uh, so we strip the floors. Once you strip them, you see how white they are, and you said, oh, man, that wax was dirty. And so you put fresh wax down, and it got on the baseboards, so we had to paint the baseboards. But when we put fresh paint on the baseboards, we looked at the wall and said, the wall is gray and dingy. So we had to paint the wall. And once you painted one wall, the other walls, you could see, and then we had to paint those walls. So it was just this process. It's just we had to keep on going. Because we didn't realize how dingy the walls were until we put fresh paint. So sometimes there is a subtle graying of our Christianity. A subtle dusting or dirtying of our character that we don't pick up on. Until a splash of righteousness is, is put upon us or upon somebody else. We are sometimes unconscious to the drift like a swimmer in the ocean who looks up and finds out that the tide has pulled them far down uh, the beach. Like a dim light, who recently in my kitchen turned the light on, I'm looking around like, what's going on? Something's not right. And then I looked up and realized we have a three-bulb fixture in the kitchen, and two of the bulbs were out. Now, the first bulb, when it went out, I didn't pick up on it. There were still two bulbs that were working. But when another bulb went out, and I guess it was the dimmest of the three that was illuminating the kitchen, you're like, you didn't know what you were eating in the kitchen. It might have been green and fuzzy. Amen. <laughs> I need some light in here. Not that, anyhow, I get myself in trouble. So you had to go up there and replace those burnt out lights. And then once again, you could see, ah, man, that's, and the older I get, the more light I like. Amen. God wants us to stay clean. He wants us to shine the light. He wants us to remove. In the army, when we were in the field, they would give you a, um, a lens for your flashlight, a red lens, because the white light was too bright at night. And so if you had to move somewhere, you're supposed to put that red lens on so you could kind of get around and not uh, uh, easily show the enemy where you were with that bright light. But you could get used to it. And what a great thing it was to pull that light off and have some fresh batteries in that flashlight. And suddenly, man, that thing is shining. God wants us to remove the dirt from our lens, to put some fresh batteries in, to maintain the purity once we've become washed. He says, come out from the world and be separate. Touch not the unclean thing. In the Old Testament... There was something called ceremonial 
um, cleanness, to be ceremonial, ceremonially clean or unclean. When a person that was ceremonial, ceremonially, say that three or four times fast, clean, touched a dead body or uh, an unclean thing, maybe he had to carry a corpse out of the land or he had to go and deal with the dirty ashes from the fire or he had to go and deal with uh, uh, a dead animal, he became ceremonially unclean. He couldn't celebrate the feast. He couldn't partake of certain things anymore until he had gone through the cleansing and spent the time. Never did the clean rub off on the unclean. And so if I was clean and, and, and there was a brother that was unclean, I couldn't go up and touch him and bestow my cleanness on him. Quite the opposite. If I touched him, his uncleanness came on to me. Sometimes people in the world think, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date this person. I know they're not a Christian, but I'm going to get them clean. No, it's the other way around. God said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He doesn't want your friendship to be with the world. He doesn't want your, your dating and romance to be with the world. He says you should choose Christians because you think you're going to rub off on them, but it's the other way around. Number one, you're disobeying the Bible. I wish somebody helped me preach this morning. Am I preaching the Bible? Now you can get mad at me. I don't care. I, I love you. I want you to get to heaven. Get mad at me. But at least, at least own up to the fact what he's saying is true. It's a scripture. So God wants us to maintain that purity. If we are clean, we should avoid things that will defile our garments. White shirts attract spaghetti sauce. Amen? New clothes attract paint around freshly painted places. How did that end up on my pants, on my shirt? So what do you do? Don't eat spaghetti sauce in a white shirt. <laughs> don't go where they just painted stuff. If you got new clothes on, you don't want them to get, you don't want them to get painted. Listen to what God says in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And when, it's, when it says this, it's speaking of a state of a heart reserved completely for God and freed from all worldly distractions. Let me say it again. Purity in this sense means a heart reserved completely for God and and removed of all worldly distractions. He said, once it's that way, you can see. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see. They'll have vision. They shall see God. So those who are defiled in their spirit and soul oftentimes cannot see God. They don't understand why the preacher's making a big deal about getting drunk or about the, uh, having that anger in your heart or, or about being proud and, and holier than thou or being a, a standoffish. They don't understand why he's talking about that. Because they become impure. Their lens has been dirtied. Their heart has been defiled. They can't see anymore. They can't see why the preacher's saying you need to be in church every time the church doors are open. They've gotten so distant. They at one time they'd come to church because God had saved them and they wanted to be in every church service. But now you see them once a month and it's like you ought to give them a candy bar or something. I'm doing something special for God. No, you're violating the word of God 90% of the time. You still here? 
And you wonder, why do people, oh, let me leave that alone, i got to go. Come out from the world and be separate. We need to have our hearts renewed. Church attendance counters the surrounding of worldly children and worldly teachers by hopefully godly ones. Part of the sermon was supposed to be about how to raise godly children in an ungodly world. There's just not enough time to get to all of it. But I understand sometimes maybe you don't have the money to send them to a private school. If you do, man, that's a blessing. And maybe you don't have the, the time and the energy to homeschool them. And so you send them to a public school and you pray for them. Thank God there's a praying mom and a praying dad. That's, that's the best you can do. Man, you should be praying for them and watching over them and being careful what they're teaching them. Because they'll be teaching them all kinds of garbage and you as a parent have got to step in and say, no, son, that's not the way it is. No, daughter, that's not the way it is. We don't believe that because God says this. Amen. But if you put them in that surrounding and you never counter that surrounding, how do I counter it? Bring them to Sunday school. Let the Sunday school teachers teach them the Bible. Let them get around kids, hopefully, that have some type of godliness and some type of, of standard. Let, let them come around people that will teach them and love them and show them the truth. Don't keep them at home because it's too much effort to get them ready to come to church. Will somebody say something today, this morning? Preacher, you can say what you want to. I'm going to let them sleep because I don't like when they give me the lip and everything else. Let them die and go to hell then. Just let them, just give them to the devil. Devil, you can have my children. Might as well. You let them watch the TikTok and you let them watch unfettered access to TV and movies and they're getting all the filth and they're listening to all the garbage. And, and you, you, you hero uh, you portray Rihanna and Jay-Z and Beyonce as heroes instead of those who are, are working for the devil. Whether it's rock and roll, whether it's R&B, the Bible says, hey, I don't want you to bring that into your mind. Why? Because I defile myself. He said, I want you to, to make melodies, sing spiritual songs, make melody. I don't want you to be singing about sleeping with this one and, and blankety-blank the cops and blankety-blank that woman and blankety-blank that man. That's not God. And how do you expect 30 minutes of a preacher preaching on Sunday morning to counteract 10, 15, 20 hours of worldly music that you're playing into your mind, 20, 30 40 hours of garbage media that you're bringing into your household. And then you say, preacher, my daughter's pregnant at 14. My son's in a gang. Uh, this is going on. They got shot. They got killed. And we're supposed to rectify it in 15 minutes. No. You've got to say, it's not coming in my house. No, you're not going to dress like a hoochie mama. No, you're not going to go to the homecoming and spend the night at your, your so-called friend's house ending up with some disease. No, it's not going to be that way. We must counter the surroundings of the worldly children and teachers by godly examples in the house of God. Where do I find them? You don't find them sitting at home on the stream you got to get around people, amen, for your sake. And then you've got to be part of those that help others. I don't come just for me. I come not only to get a blessing, but to be a blessing. Do you see? I'm almost done. Stay with me a little bit longer. Before I can get anywhere, I must get pure. Think about it. The Bible said, who shall ascend into the holy hill? He wasn't necessarily talking about climbing up to God's mountain. He was talking about how will we gain access to the Heavenly Father? 
prayer. He was telling us the way to gain access to the Heavenly Father was to have a pure heart. Clean hands. Not that you wash them and sanitize them, but hands that haven't been involved in filthiness, dirty dealing, pornography, hatred. How do my prayers get answered? Did you know when you add something to water, you increase the boiling point? 212 degrees, but you add salt or you add other things. The more that it becomes defiled, the higher the boiling point, from what I understand. So it takes more power to bring about the result when it's defiled. It's the same way. You say, man, I really want God to do something in my family. I really want God to do something in our church. Start by getting pure. Start by removing the stuff that doesn't belong. And then your prayers will soar into heaven because God will say, man, they care enough to do what my word says. Man, they're coming to church and they're praying and they're reading the word of God. Not only are they reading it, they're applying it. And then you won't get bent out of shape when the preacher says, hey, lady, dress like a lady. Hey, fella, dress like a fella. You won't get mad when he, when he begins to say, hey, come on now. Let's stand up. Men, protect your family. Be the providers for your family. Don't send your wife out and you stay at home playing video games. You won't get upset. You see, we have to judge things by God's light and not our own. Under the pure, Titus 1 and 15, he said, all, under the pure, all things are pure. But under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Even their mind and conscience is defiled. You see, you get around the trash long enough and it starts sounding appetizing. What do you mean? I had a friend. He worked as uh, a trash man picking up. Trash cans, throwing them in the trash can all day long. As a young man, if I needed money, that would be a fine job as long as they paid me enough. But they better pay me enough, amen? <laughs> and at the time, it was a, a good job for him. And I asked him about it. He said, I was concerned about the smell. He said, but after the first day, he said, it smelled like a Subway sub all day long. Trash became appealing, smelled good. That's the way the world is. You get around it long enough, it's appealing. Come to the club. Come, come, Netflix and chill. Come and, and we'll do this and we'll do that. It becomes appealing. And Christianity becomes this, this, this stick in the mud, going against the grain, this old-fashioned it's God fashioned. When you hang around drug users, you'll think that's normal. When you hang around those that are unfaithful, whether to church or to your spouse, you begin to think that's normal. When you hang around those that constantly curse, you think that's normal. When you hang around those that don't honor the Bible's commands about, how about this, obeying your husband, loving your wife, You'll think that's normal. Now we've got a whole generation of, oh, yeah, well, let me tell you. <laughs> and so men have bowed out of the leadership because they don't want to have to put up with that. 
And women end up with little boys as husbands that will no longer stand up because they never let them lead. Are you still here? And men don't want to love somebody. When you, when you, when you stand up to a man, he's going to stand up to you. But when you respect him, you say, if you give your husband respect, he'll give you the love. But preacher, I'm waiting for him to give me the love, and then I'll give him the respect. Stand in front of a fireplace and tell the fireplace, I'm waiting for you to give me the heat, and then I'll give you the wood. See how that'll work. Amen? You might need to put some wood in there first. And vice versa, fellas. Give her the love. Maybe you'll get the respect. There are those that justify social drinking. Everybody's getting drunk. But the Bible still says, no drunkard shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Well, it's legal now. Whether you get drunk by alcohol or you get drunk by uh, cannabis, marijuana, whether you smoke it or you eat it or you have jelly bellies uh, made out of it, it doesn't matter. The Bible said if we defile our body, uh, defile our, our body is the uh, um, temple, thank you. Our body is the temple of God. Whoever defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. Do you get that? He would destroy. Now already we see it being destroyed by the world, but one day there will be an everlasting destruction from the presence of God. That's the scripture. I don't want that. I love you. I love you. Listen, I, I have the personality that likes to get along with people, really. So it's tough sometimes to get up and say, today you're going to be everybody's enemy. Today you're going to get up and share things that people aren't going to like. And you may lose some church members. But you know what? I love you enough. I don't want you to die and go to hell. And I don't want, I don't want some of you that are coasting along on your Christianity thinking everything's all right. But you haven't, you haven't prayed. You're harboring all kinds of bitterness and angry, uh, self-righteousness. Haven't, haven't cared about other souls to bring anybody to visit folks, to follow up on them. Your life's all about you. And because you might be able to pat yourself on the back and say, well, I'm not a drunkard and I'm not a, a fornicator, that's not enough, man. I'm almost done. Those that justify social drinking. Well, when you see that your heart is defiled, how can we be made clean? How can I get to where I understand the smallest particle? Man, I want that off of here. Get out of here. Man, I want, let me clean that up because I don't want this thing. I don't want, don't, don't put anything in my sink. It's clean. Don't put anything in my, on my car. Some bird uh, puts its uh, doo-doo on my windshield. Let me clean it up. I'm not going to let it stay there. I don't want to walk around and have a, he's known as the bird do car, amen? That's the bird do girl, spiritually. That's the proud, angry sister. That's the, that's the, the unyielding, uh, angry brother. That's the, that's the uh, uh, prove it to me brother, the prove it to me sister. How can this be accomplished when we understand that our hearts are so defiled? Haven't you ever, haven't you ever gotten the presence of God? I'm not talking about comparing yourself to a brother, but gotten in the presence of God and say, oh God, I need help. God, I need cleansed. I need my mind made new. 
I need my heart purified. God, I don't feel like my heart's beating for you like it once did. God, I don't feel like this, the love for souls is there like it once was. Haven't you ever gotten in the presence of God to where God just melted you and you were a puddle on the floor in some prayer meeting somewhere and said, God, is there any hope for me? Haven't you ever looked inside and said, oh, God, I'm so lazy, or sometimes I'm so angry, or God, sometimes I'm just not on fire, and sometimes it's just not that drive. God, do something. And sometimes you look at yourself and say, I'm such a mess. Am I the only one? Me and sister, me and brother. What do I do? Get ready, musicians. Hercules was given a task. He was to clean the Aegean stables, 5,000 horses. You know what horses do. They eat, comes in one end and goes out the other. If he started on one side of the, the stables and started shoveling, by the time he got 20 or 30 horse stalls clean, they'd be back doing it all over again. How could he get 5,000 clean? Why don't you do build my life? How could he get 5,000 clean? He got a river, and he redirected the river to where it flowed through the stables. And it washed away all that filth. And it carried away all the manure and all the garbage, and it made it clean. Jesus did something far better. He, he rerouted his blood, and it, like a river, flowed through us and made us clean. He rerouted the blood of Christ when he died on the, on the cross of Calvary. And that blood is applied to our lives. It gets rid of the pride and the self-righteousness. And it cleanses us from the laziness and the lust and the anger. And it takes us and makes us clean and pure again to where when our heart's not right, we recognize and say, Oh God, I don't want to go back to being dirty. Cleanse me. I don't want to go back to being proud and arrogant or cold. Cleanse me. I'm not going to be that way. I know I need to change. Christian, they don't need when they come to church for you to wag your judgmental finger at them. They need someone to say, I was there, but God cleansed me. And if he did it for me, he can do it for you. And today, he can do it for you. Whether you've been around 30 years or 30 days, he can make you clean. He's pouring the blood of Jesus tonight saying, why don't you become pure? Why don't you get right? What do I need to do? Come to him and say, God, I know I'm filthy. I'm not going to make any bones about it. I tried cleaning up myself. It's like smearing mud. But if you'll just pour your river, your river of blood and the river of the Holy Spirit through my life, you can make me clean and pure like nobody else can. Tell him. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Jesus, wash me, cleanse me, make me whole. I want to be pure. I can't go back to being unclean. I want to be, I want to be fresh, throne room fresh, fresh from the Bible, fresh from the prayer meeting. Fresh from working for him, I want to be clean.
Is that what you want? Just a moment, we're going to come find a place of prayer. That's what you're after. When we open up this altar, you come. What do I need to do, Pastor? To pray and recognize you're dirty. The Bible said we've all sinned. And ask him, Jesus, come into my heart, cleanse me, make me pure. If you do that, and you mean that from your heart, God will give you a brand new beginning today. He loves you. Just a minute, we're going to come to this altar. When we do, won't you come and say, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Save me today. Lord, I thank you for each one that you brought. Now I ask God in this altar call, you would bring them to a place of cleansing, surrender, forgiveness. Father, I pray as they come down to this place of death to self, that you'd wash them in the blood and they'd find a new beginning in you. If that's what you want, I want you right now to come to this altar. As the Christians come, you come.